Hello everyone, welcome to uh, AJ's Classic Crime Podcast. On the reading of uh, our two favorite heroes, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, of course. So now, we're on to the new book, it's called The Sign of the Four. And we read chapter one last week, last Sunday. Oh, by the way, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I know it's kind of late, but happy Thanksgiving anyways. So in the chapter one of the new book, The Sign of the Four, we find our two heroes banting back and forth in the beginning of the chapter. And we come to find out an important detail. That Mr. Sherlock Holmes apparently is addicted to cocaine. You can see all the marks on his arms and... From the way it sounds, he takes it quite regularly. He says, yeah, I need stimulating with problems to solve or cocaine. Watson expresses concern about the long-term effects it's going to have on his health, let alone his his brain. Then they start rehashing some of Jefferson Hope's case. Watson wrote a pamphlet in the title, The Study in Scarlet. And Holmes thought it to be too romantic. It should have been more of a fact, fact-based article, which, which kind of, uh, kind of chaffed uh, old Watson a little bit because he's doing it for him, and Sherlock didn't really give give two uh, two cares about it at all. Thought it was written very poorly. Then we find out that uh, Holmes has several monographs on technical subjects. For example, number one, he, had, he uh, wrote a monograph on tobacco ash. He studied all types of tobacco, cigarette tobacco, pipe tobacco, cigar tobacco, different types of tobacco, and he uses that in determining parts of his case. And the next thing he wrote a, wrote a monograph on was uh, the art of tracking the science behind footsteps. And he goes into a bunch of different kind of people with uh, different footsteps and different kind of, um, it's like, say, uh, like work boots to uh, different kind of uh, fancy shoes, whatever the case may be. He was studying in uh, the art of tracking, basically. And then, of course, we all remember in the very beginning of the uh, first book, that, remember when Watson first met him and Holmes yelled out, aha, and he discovered that reagent that turned a different color when it was a blood, was blood on the stain because they couldn't figure out how to find out whether the stain was blood or not. So they poured like luminol. That was another discovery he made. I'm sure it was a, I'm sure there was a monograph written on that. Then, uh, then they keep on talking a little bit. Then uh, Sherlock tells Watson he just got back from the post office and he knows that he went so sent a telegram. And then he told him, Watson goes, well, how did you know that? He just told him, well, this is how. So Watson gets a bright idea to challenge Mr. Holmes. Because Holmes says he can take any kind of an item off individ- individual and tell you exactly where they're from, what they do, who they are, the disposition in life, 
and all the rest. So Watson is not really really thinking what he's doing here because it doesn't turn out too well for him. So Watson goes ahead and has Holmes this watch. So uh, Sherlock's looking at the watch. And then he gives it back to him. He says, well, what do you got? Well, I can't really see much because it's uh, been cleaned. But uh, then Watson says, well, okay, well, you're not as good as you thought you are, are you? However, he says, then he gives him the whole story of details about his elder brother, how he was an alcoholic, how he was rich, how he was poor, how he did this and sold that and went down to the pawn shops and bought money on booze. And, and the only reason why he could get along in life because he come from a rich family. And this kind of put Bill Watson in a bit of a foul mood because he thought Sherlock went and looked up his whole family tree and found out what was going on with his older brother. And he was kind of pissed about it. Sherlock realizing his, his, uh, how insensitive he was towards Sherlock or towards Watson's family history that he made an apology and then he explained in detail how he figured all this out with some of the markings on the watch and scratches and, and things like that. So while they're going back and forth over that, there was a loud knock on the door and the landlady comes in and uh, Watson's about to leave and Sherlock says, no, no, just stay here, stay here. Let's see what's going on. And the in walks door is a young Miss Mary Morstan. And this is the start of the first case in the second book. Chapter 2, The Statement of the Case. Miss Morrison entered the room with a firm step and an outward composure of manner. She was a blonde young lady, small, dainty, well-gloved, and dressed in the most perfect taste. There was, however, a plainness and simplicity about her costume which bored with a suggestion of limited means. The dress was a somber grayish beige, untrimmed and unbraided, and she wore a small turban of, this, of the same dull hue, relieved only by a suspicion of a white feather on the side. Her face had neither irregularity of feature nor beauty of comp complexion, but her expression was sweet and animal and her large blue eyes were singularly spiritual and sympathetic. In the experience of women which extends over many nations and three separate continents, I have never looked upon a face which gave a clear promise of a refined and sensitive nature. I could not but observe that as she took the seat which Herlock, Sherlock Holmes offered her, her lip trembled, her hand quivered, and she showed every sign of intense inward agitation. So she's a nervous wreck, obviously. I have come to you, Mr. Holmes, she said, because you have once enabled my employer, Mrs. Cecil Forrester, to unravel a little domestic complication. She was much impressed with the kindness and the skill. Mrs. Cecil Forrester, said Sherlock thoughtfully. I believe that was some light of service to her. The case, however, as I remember, it was a very simple one. Well, she did not think so, but at least she cannot say the same of mine. I can hardly imagine anything more strange, more utterly inexplicable than the situation which I find myself in. 
Holmes rubbed his hands and his eyes and his eyes glistened. He leaned forward in his chair with an expression of extraordinary concentration upon his clear-cut hawk-like hawk -like features. State your case, said he in a brisk business tone. I felt that my position was an embarrassing one. You will, I am sure. Excuse me. I said, rising from my chair. To my surprise, the young lady held up her gloved hand and detained me. If your friend, she said, would be good enough to stay, he might be of inestimable service to me. So Sherlock or uh, Watson tried to get away again, and this time the young lady says that's in this day. I relapsed back into my chair. Briefly, she continued, the facts are these. My father was an officer in the Indian regiment who sent me home when I was quite a child. My mother was dead and had no relative in England. I was placed, however, in a comfortable boarding establishment in Edinburgh, and there I remained until I was 17 years of age. In the year 1878, my father, who was senior captain of his regiment, obtained 12 months' leave and came home. He telegraphed me to London that he had arrived all safe and directed me to come down at once, given the Langham Hotel as his address. His message, I remember, was full of kindness and love. On reaching London, I drove to Langham and was informed that Captain Morrison was staying there, but that he had gone out that night before and had not returned yet. I waited all day without news of him. That night, on the advice of the manager of the hotel, I communicated with the police. And the next morning, we advertised in all the newspapers. Our inquiries led to no results. And from that day to this, no word has ever been heard of my unfortunate father. He came home with his heart full of hope to find some peace, some comfort, and instead, she put her hand to her throat and choking sob cut short the sentence. The date, asked Sherlock, opening his notebook. He disappeared upon the 3rd of December, 1878, nearly 10 years ago. His luggage and remained at the hotel. There was nothing in it to suggest a clue. Some clothes, some books, and a considerable number of curiosities from the Adamand Islands. He had been one of the officers in charge of the com convict guard there. Had he had any friends in town? The only one friend that we know, Mr. Sholto, of his own regiment, 34th Bombay Infantry. The major had retired some long time before and lived in Upper Norwood. We communicated with him, of course, but he did not even know that his brother officer was even in England in the first place. A singular case, remarked Holmes. I have not yet described to you the most singular part. About six years ago, to be exact, upon the fourth day of May, 1882, an advertisement appeared in the Times asked for the address of Miss Mary Morton. Morston and stating that it would be to her advantage to come forward. There was no name or address appended. I had at the time just entered the family of Miss Cecil Forrester in the capacity as her governess. By her advice, I published my address in the advertisement column. The same day, there arrived in the post a small cardboard box addressed to me, which I found it contained a very large lustrous pearl. No word of writing was enclosed. Since then, every year upon the same date, there has always appeared a similar box containing a similar pearl, without any clue to as to who sent it.
They have been pronounced by an expert to be of rare variety and of considerable value. You can see for yourselves that they are very handsome. She opened the flat box as she spoke and showed me six of the finest pearls I've ever seen in my life. Your statement is most interesting, said Sherlock Holmes. Has anything else occurred to you? Yes, yes, no later than today. That is why I have come to you. This morning I received this letter, which you would perhaps read for yourself. Thank you, said Holmes. The envelope too, please, ma'am. Postmark London, S.W. date July 7th. Hmm, a man's thumb mark on a corner, probably a postman. Best quality paper. Envelopes at six pence, six pence a packet. Particularly a man is... A particular man in a stationery. No address. Be the third pair from, less up, from the left outside the Lycombe Theatre tonight at 7 o'clock. So that was all that was written there. Be at the, the at the third pillar from the left outside, from the left outside the Lycombe Theatre tonight at 7 o'clock. If you are distrustful, bring two friends. You are, you are a wronged woman and shall have justice. Do not bring the police. If you do, all this will be in vain. Your unknown friend. Wow, really, this is very pretty little mystery we have here. What do you intend to do, Miss Morton? So I think we know what she's going to do. The note said bring two friends. And this is why she wanted uh, Dr. Watson to probably stay there. As we're fixing to find out. This is exactly what I want to ask you, she says. Then we shall most certainly go. You and I. And yes, why? Dr. Watson is the very man. Your correspondent says two friends. He and I have worked together before. But when he comes, she asked with some appealing in her voice and expression. I should be proud and happy, I said. If I can be any service at all. You are both very kind, she answered. I have led a, led a retired life and I have no friends whom I could appeal to. I, I'll be, if I am here at six, it will do, I suppose. It must not be later than that, said Holmes. There is one point, either one point, however. Is this handwriting the same that upon pearl box addresses? I have them here, she answered, producing a half a dozen pieces of paper. Oh, you are certainly a model client, he says. You have the correct intuition. Now let us see now. He spread out the papers upon the table and gave little darting glances from one to the other. They are in disguised hands, except the letter, he said, presently. But there can be no question as to his authorship. See how the irrepressible Greek E will break out, and see the twirl of the final S. They are undoubtedly written by the same person. I should not like to suggest false hope, Miss Marston, but is there any resemblance between this hand and that of your father? Nothing can be more unlike. I expected to hear you say so. We shall look at them, look at you for, for you at six then. Pray allow me to keep the papers. I may look into the matter before them. It's only half past three. Au revoir then. Au revoir, said our visitor, with a bright, kindly glance from one, one another to us. She replaced her pearl box in her bosom and hurried away. Standing at the window, I watched her briskly walk down the street until the great turban and white feather was but a speck in a somber crowd. What a very attractive woman, I explained, turned to my companion, Sherlock Holmes. He had lighted his pipe again and was leaning back with drooping eyelids. Is she, he said languidly. I did not notice. 
You are really an automon, aren't you? A calculating machine, I cried. There is something positively inhuman in you at all times. He smiled gently. It is of the first importance, he said, not to allow your judgment to be biased by personal qualities. A client is mere to me a unit, a factor in a problem. The emotional qualities are antagonistic. To clear reasoning. I assure you that the most winning woman I ever knew was hanged for poisoning three little children for their insurance money, and the most repellent man of my acquaintance is a philanthropist who spent nearly a quarter million dollars upon a London poor. In this case, however, uh, I never make exceptions. An exception disproves the rule. Have you ever had the occasion to study the character in handwriting? What do you make of this fellow's scribble? It's, it is legible and regular, I answered. A man of business habits and some force of character. Holmes shook his head. Look at his long letters, he said. There's hardly a rise above the common herd. That D might be an O and E, and that I might be an E. Men of character always differentiate their long letters. However, illegibly, they may write. There's a vacillation in the K's and self-esteem in his capitals. I am going out now. I have some few references to make. Let me recommend this book. One of the most remarkable ever penned. It is Winwards Reads Martyrdom of Man. I shall be back in an hour. I sat and went with the volume in my hand, but my thoughts were far from daring speculation of the writer. My mind, my mind ran upon our late visitor. Her smiles, the deep, the rich tones of her voice, the strange mystery which overhung her life. If she were 17 at the time of her experience, she must be 20, 22 by now. A sweet age. When youth has lost its self-consciousness, it became a little sore by experience. So I sat and mused until such dangerous thoughts came into my head that I hurried away to my desk and plunged ferociously into the latest treatises upon pathology. What was I? An army surgeon with a weak leg and a weaker banking account that I should dare to think of such a things. She was a unit, a factor, nothing more. If my future were black, it was better surely to face it like a man than attempt to brighten by mere will of the whips of the imagination. Sounds to me like old Dr. Watton's going to crush on this young lady here. And as usual, Sherlock Holmes is all business. So from the handwriting, he decided that he's... Uh, He's not really a man of character. Very interesting. That's the end of the chapter, folks. I'll uh, reread it there next this week and do a review on it and see where we're heading with all this. So far, we can figure uh, they're going to meet with the young lady at 6 o'clock. Um, Sherlock Holmes is all excited about the case. And looks like Dr. Watson is having a huge crush on the young lady. So thank you for listening. Hope everybody has a great week. And I'll see you all next Sunday. Bye for now.